Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Matt Terrell, and he is co-founder and CEO of operations of Innovet Pet Products. And we're going to learn a little bit more about him. Uh, this is fun. I always love talking about pet-based uh, applications, pet-based companies in the cannabis space. A fascinating area. It's a fascinating area that has huge possibilities. So I'm excited for this conversation. Matt, welcome to the program. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about background. I always love to hear how people kind of got in the space, what they were doing professionally before they started their cannabis business. Give me a little bit of background. What were you kind of what's what's your professional background and how did cannabis come up and how did you start Innovet Pet Products? Well, actually, our, our story is is uh, it's very it's very unique. It's um, I've never heard any other any other company that started up like quite like us. We we started in 2005 making uh, unique pet products that solved problems for my pets that were unsolvable through conventional means. Okay, so give us an example. My, yeah, so what's some examples yes. of things that you're solving? 
Yeah, specifically, well, in, in 2005, we, it was, we got started because my Labrador had a, uh, had a severe ear infection that was going to result in a, in a major surgery, a major risky surgery, mm. or I had to find a solution to get medicine and clean or deep into his ear. Yeah. So I came up with, I, I, I got our, uh, I invented a tool that resulted in our first patent and it, uh, it gets medicine and cleaner deep into a dog's ear while they're moving and fighting. So it kind of does the, the job of, uh, of a real expensive veterinarian, uh, you know, a, a veterinarian cleaning under anesthesia. You know, it's, mm. it's comparable to that. We can't directly say that it's, you know, that that's a replacement <laughs> for that. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. in reality, that's in my, my own personal experience, that's how, that's how effective it was. Yeah. So, you know, we got, we were building products like that really unique niche pet products we, you know, we made a, my Labrador went blind, so we invented tracer scented markers for blind dogs. It was a fantastic niche, but oh, you know, we're not gonna, yeah. yeah, we weren't gonna, we weren't gonna build the, we weren't gonna build a large business based off of a, a niche that small. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't. We were in business like that for ten years before we, uh, before we got into CBD. Interesting. And, and so, it, how did CBD come about? Was this something that just kind of came across your radar as potential solution, or was there a bigger picture? Yeah. Well, actually, in 2014, 2015, we had. We had three or four different companies coming to us and asking and wanting to partner with us, and they wanted us to do the uh, to do CBD for pets because mm-hmm. they said that there was such um, there was such bad CBD products for pets yeah. at the time. The, a lot of a lot of shady stuff coming from China. So they wanted to uh, they wanted to partner with a reputable pet product company like ours. Mm-hmm. And I got the impression at the time that they really just wanted us to take the risk of growing cannabis, essentially. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and they, and they said so many positive things about it. And everything that I read was so overwhelmingly positive that honestly, it seemed like snake oil. Yeah. So I really just I, I truly dismissed the idea. And it wasn't until my business partner's dog got gravely ill and they tried the conventional uh, conventional therapies and it failed. There was no other there was no other option for his dog. Mm-hmm. So he, he ordered CBD. Unfortunately, the uh, the company that he ordered it from, they uh, were turned out to be one of the uh, less reputable ones and yeah. they didn't ship the order. They, they waited. They waited a long time to ship the order. Yeah. And it actually arrived that the CBD arrived after his dog passed away. Oh, tragic. And my yeah, it was it was it was horrible. My dog was uh, my dog that uh, that was that was the founder that you know that the company was founded off of in 2005 to cure his ear problems. My dog was uh, is 16 at the time and he was about he was about to pass. Yeah. And I had this bottle of CBD next to me and I was gonna I you know I, I knew he was gonna he was gonna go really soon. So mm-hmm. I wanted to know that I had tried everything. Mm-hmm. So that was the literally the only reason I gave him CBD was because I wanted to have the peace of mind that I had tried everything. And I didn't expect anything to happen. And I, I gave him the CBD and then walked. Uh, it was in the front of our in front of our warehouse area. I gave him the CBD and I, I walked to the back and I'm you know, doing something in the back of our warehouse. And about 15 minutes later, I hear this huge commotion and it's my dog. He stood up on his own for the first time in a month and, and he was just he, his appetite was back. He was alert. It was it was basically all the things that people told me that CBD could do, and it was just a big giant life lesson right into my face. It yeah. was undeniable. It was undeniable. It was, uh, it, it, it helped him so much. He, my, this, this dog was, was happy for the first time in a long time, truly happy. Yeah. And it gave me, it gave me another, it gave me five real true quality weeks. 
um, with him to say goodbye. And that was priceless. Yeah. And that was, that was, the, the it, after that, I looked back on it and, and it was, that was, that was life. That was the, the, the universe telling me yeah. we might, you know, my goal needs to be to provide quality CBD to pets. And that's, I've just made that my mission. Yeah. And so it was that a turning point in terms of really pivoting the company into this space or was this a, an, an addition to all the other things you were doing? I mean, I, give me a sense of strategically how CBD played a role. You know, honestly, we just we knew it was the right thing to do. We saw how much it helped our own pets. It was just undeniable. And we saw how difficult it was to get it even for ourselves and how there is so much disinformation out there. And we thought this is really, you know, this is perfect for us. This is perfect for us to provide a quality product and transparency about it and cut through all the, you know, all the disinformation out there and really, truly help people. And yeah. pets. So we, we were going to go for we We just we felt it was the right thing to do. We felt there was a good chance of, uh, of, of opportunity. And so we didn't you know, we we just went forward with it alongside our other products. We just, you know, it was a it was just a freight train moving forward. We just add some more uh, some more cargo to it. Yeah. So you had this experience. You realized the the potential of CBD products for pets. Um, what was the next step? I mean, was this uh, you know start growing some plants in the back of the office? What was the like? How did you actually start working on developing CBD products? And what parts of the production process were you you know doing internally? Where did you look for partners? Give us a sense of how you executed on the on the business plan that way. Yeah, actually. Um you know, it's funny. There was one one aspect of the business where there was no plan. We just went we just went forward with things as fast as we possibly yeah. could. Yeah, we and uh, you know we we thought at first that we were going to have to uh, to grow the cannabis and um, and you know and get the get the special seeds with the the strains that are high in CBD and and all that. Uh, we bought our all the equipment and we were about to actually start growing when we when we uh, found uh, a manufacturer in Colorado that was uh, was you know already growing and refining the uh, the CBD and, and had it at a would deal with us at a small quantity that was the, actually the biggest uh, hurdle was just the barriers to entry and in, into the market the minimum orders in that yeah yeah once once we spotted a, um, a company that uh, would had a minimum order, in a size that we could that we could handle and their uh, the quality test came back confirming what they said the CBD was mm-hmm. at that point we knew we we went forward uh, that way on a small scale I mean I think we I think we started with just like 10 bottles yeah. I think we made yeah. I think we made, I, yeah I think we made 10 test bottles yeah and uh, and just kept scaling just scaling it up from there yeah I mean I guess give us a sense of how you kind of educated yourself or how did you get familiar with CBD and cannabis I mean it's a it's a fairly complicated and somewhat unstructured and you know world full of science and fiction <laughs> what was your how did you kind of wrap your head around it yeah luckily uh, I've got my business partner who uh, he's a chemist um, mm-hmm. from UCSB and uh, so he b- between the two of us we were able to to handle the research load I, I don't think I would have been able to handle it myself yeah that's for sure. Basically, I think the biggest hurdles really were perceived legal hurdles because everything's a gray area. Yeah. So if you, if we stopped and looked at all the different if all the different uh, legal risks, it, we would never would have got anywhere. We mm-hmm. just we just you know we saw we saw a legitimate path to go forward with it, and we went forward with it, and and really supply chain was was the was the biggest the biggest barrier for us. I mean, I remember at one point we uh, for to get organic hemp oil, we were so we were so we couldn't find any in it in a um, in a, any kind of a sizable quantity. Yeah. So we actually drove we drove all through Southern California to uh, I think it was Whole Foods and uh, a couple other a couple other stores buying up all of their two and four ounce bottles of uh, of organic hemp oil. <laughs> 
So we had like we had like hundreds, you know, it was like a day of driving around and we had hundreds of bottles pouring them all out into, into a big into a big pot to mix everything. So, yeah, so it was, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. 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 We we went above and beyond just to, to, keep, yeah. to keep this going. Well, and so, you know, talk to us a little bit about the evolution of the operation side. So, you know, once you formulate a product, how what, what's the process for actually putting in place, you know, the supply chain, the, the actually fabrication or the formulation process and what parts of it, I guess, have you focused on? Where have been the big challenges? How has growth and expansion of the business, you know, tested that part of the um, operations? Well, every aspect of it, of this business is, is, uh, is challenging and constantly changing. So the one, the one thing that I've found that really helps us and secures us long-term gives me peace of mind is making us as adaptable as possible. So that, I mean, we have, we have a, a mentality that at any given moment, the laws are, will completely change yeah. and whether it's labeling or shipping or that. So we 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 manufacture very lean and we yeah. can we make our own labels in house so we can change we can change any kind of a any kind of a detail on about 48 hours notice we'll have a we can have a we can have an, a, a change to a label or a product done and actually you know introduced into the into the manufacturing process and make into completed units that are shipping to customers from conception to actual shipping to customers in 48 hours yeah that's that, great yeah anything short of that will always lead to problems whether it's legal problems or uh, logistical supply chain problems if we're not fully adaptable then there's always going to be problems yeah, I like it. I, my background was in agile software development, and and you know, borrowing a lot of the the lean terms and lean ideas. And we always we always had the phrase of you know that you want to be able to turn on a dime for a dime. You know, make mm-hmm. it very cheap yeah. to be able to pivot quickly. And certainly in these kind of markets, where you know whether it's regulatory changes, whether it's market changes, whether it's new science that comes out, and you know, new product opportunities. You know, being able to quickly pivot the operations, put new product into the market. You know, change you know, change labels, you know, just in time kind of manufacturing can really help. I've seen, I mean, I've talked to a lot of companies who have had just nightmare stories of producing, you know, three months of supply of some product mm-hmm. to only find out that the label, you know, the labeling requirements are changing. And so they've got to, you know, either relabel or or worse, they've got to remanufacture these products because it's no longer, you know, usable in the in the market because of some change. Exactly. So I guess what have you done? Yeah. I mean, like, how did you, how did you implement or how did you get that kind of agile with your production process? What did you have to do? Or, or what did you have to kind of set up to be able to do that well? Well, to get the manufacturing process as agile and adaptable as possible, we really had to do everything imaginable in-house. That includes you know, buying the manufacturing equipment for bottling, printing, labeling, applying the bottles, formulating all of that and you know any, anyone with a with a large budget can um, can purchase you know can stock up on all those things but we we never took on investors we always reinvested the sales into mm-hmm. into infrastructure especially when CB was taking off we poured everything back into the business and so you know we were very careful about what equipment we we bought because our budget was so tight and that was one of the biggest big, biggest hurdles but what was really bigger than than just finding them the, the equipment mm-hmm. was was finding people to maintain it there's a huge gap in man, in, in manufacturing in, in in america yeah and it's gone on long enough that there's not really any people and there's not very many people around anymore that know how to fix the equipment that's used for the manufacturing yeah so i wound up i wound up having to uh, <laughs> i wound up having to do it all myself i you became a grease monkey you're in there yeah, with the wrench yeah and, i was yeah. yes I, i'm a mechanical engineer so it's, yeah. you know i can do it 
but uh but yeah it was that was tough that was i it was a it was something where i know there's someone out there that knows how to this experience with this but you know with with repair with industrial equipment repair but god i could not find anyone for the longest time yeah well it's fascinating because i think you know most businesses i would say a, a lot of businesses when they're really kind of looking at growth and looking at scaling and you know how do we build up this company you know it generally kind of falls on the sales and marketing side is how do we create enough demand or how do we increase our demand i think in this case in, in many kind of cannabis companies, you know, it's kind of the flip problem is that there's so much demand. It's really a function of how do I create an operations that's going to, you know, meet my demand now, but also in the future, like to create a sustainable, exactly. you know, sustainable process. I mean, I guess what's, what is, how did you balance this kind of short term versus longer term decisions around, well, you know, I could, I could go with this manufacturing process, you know, quickly and it would get, would double my production now, but you know, I'm going to cap out fairly quickly versus, you know, investing in something more sophisticated. It makes take longer to put in place, but you know, it could be 10 times the production in, you know, the coming, you know, months or years. How, like, did you have, was that a big kind of factor in, in looking at operation strategy? No, um, because our budget dictated only one option and yeah. that was do what, whatever's the most, whatever is the most affordable with, um, with it and make it, just make it work. Yeah. That resulted in me having to do um, having to do a lot of the just a lot an immense amount of this. I mean I, I was essentially living in our office most <laughs> weeks. But yeah, I set up. Yeah, uh, I'm really grateful that I I've got a, a team now that can that I've been able to to teach these things. I actually never did find anyone that could uh, could repair the yeah. the kind of equipment that we have. I had to to train our own our own team in house how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was all these things were just basically um, here's the cards you're dealt. Make the best of it there. Yeah. I wish I could have planned more, but there was it just didn't happen that way. Things moved too fast. Well, it's interesting because I mean, the, the constraints, it sounds like the constraints forced a certain amount of innovation and self-sufficiency, which uh, I don't exactly. know. If, I don't know if you've got into the stories of Toyota and the whole development of the Toyota production system and lean process, but it really was one of the interesting factors of why, how and why they developed that, you know, just in time, you know, processing or just in time manufacturing was because they didn't have the capital. They didn't, you know, it was post-World War II Japan. They didn't have access to capital. They couldn't do, they couldn't invest in huge production facilities and, and invest in huge amounts of inventory and it forced them to be this just in time but that inadvertently gave them this benefit of being able to respond to markets very quickly get product to, to the market quickly and be a very capital efficient company and it, it sounds like you kind of a similar learning you know yeah 60 years later <laughs> in, in the cannabis yeah. space yeah yeah in, in a lot of the the equipment and um in the just the the logistics necessary to start a CBD business, it's all, you know, it's all un, it was all new territory. There's, you know, there's a lot of analogy with the, uh, the beer and, uh, and brewing industry, mm -hmm. but you can't, it's not as simple as just buying the, you know, the equipment, it's the equipment for cannabis. It requires so much specialization really. Yeah. And, and it's only, it's only, it's only in the past couple of years that, that affordable equipment that specialized for handling cannabis has, has really come out. Yeah. I mean, it just, one of the things people don't understand is just how, how sticky the, the substances are, the refined substances after extraction, mm -hmm. just handling it is a massive logistical challenge. Mm. It just gets, it gets everywhere. <laughs> it's impossible yeah, it's, to it's take just, off. It's sticky. Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can use, you can use one knife to scrape it off of another knife and it's, you know, it's <laughs> but just then you have another knife. Knife. <laughs> yeah. 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 Being able to handle 
handle it without having a tremendous amount of, of material lost along the way or wasted along the way. That was that was really the really the challenge. Oh, fascinating. Interesting. So tell us a little bit about, you know, as the company has grown, as you know, the demand for product has increased, as as you ramped up kind of production capabilities, what have been some of the bigger challenges within the business in, in this growth period? It would be on the marketing side, it would be keeping up with all the different ad policies and tactics. Yeah. It is uh, yeah, that is a that is a daily team collaborative effort that is I don't see any I don't see any uh, any end uh, for that in the, in the near future. And there's always people getting edges, trying to find some edge, some new new tactic. And this is just around the, the issues of which platforms will you market, what kind of products. And you know, if you're a, a lot of platforms are still prohibiting or kicking off cannabis related products from advertising point of view. That's the challenge that you're yeah. mentioning. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It, like you'll have a, um, for a lot of a lot of platforms and uh, and advertising for a lot of uh, platforms for the logistical aspects of the business and platforms for the marketing aspects of it. We'll have one side one side of uh, of that platform, their, like the, their marketing side, pitching to us, trying to get our business. And while we'll have the other side of their their business, their legal department, saying that they don't that they can't we can't do business with. Them. <laughs> It's been schizophrenic, that way. It's been that, schizophrenic yeah, uh, it's, it's, advertising. It's been that way with, uh, yeah. with uh, yeah, the companies that that, uh, that host our, our website. You know, they're with uh, in, for logistics and shipping, Facebook advertising, Google ads, all that. It's all. It's, it's, yeah. It, I expect their policy to change every day. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it goes back to your earlier point of kind of the best strategy right now is being able to change quickly because that's uh, that's the strategic advantage. Yeah, that and then and then being able to balance the uh, the the new just the way that people work now. We really have to have a balance of about 50-50 actual physical people working in our warehouse mm-hmm. and virtual employees. Got it. Freelance employees. It's uh, across the board. We have to we we have to have a blend of both. Got it. I'm curious because there's been changes to the legislation in the last uh, well for the last couple of years. There's been changing to the mm-hmm. to the hemp side of it anyway. I mean, has the farm bill, the 2018 farm bill, really impacted how you operate and you know either operations or marketing side? Actually. It, no, it, it hasn't really changed anything in reality. All it's done is give me peace of mind that uh, I don't, you know, that there's not going to be some confusion with uh, with the DEA or, or you know some you know some crazy exaggerated thing. You know, for yeah. when Jeff Sessions when uh, when Jeff Sessions was the Attorney General, I had this paranoid you know nightmare <laughs> that that he swooped in and broke in through the, you know through a window with a with a DEA SWAT team. Yeah. And, you slept you know, with one eye open. Yeah. yeah so yeah. All that's done is uh, it's always been a gray area. I knew that. Um, I just knew that it was I knew that we were doing the right thing morally. And I knew that there was a legal, a good, plausible legal argument for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I also knew that there were lots of legal legal arguments against it. But as long as I I felt there was a a good legal argument and we're on solid moral ground, I knew it was the right way to go. Yeah. So talk to me about where the company is at this point. What are the future plans? Like, what are your what are your kind of goals, ambitions, you know, kind of strategies uh, going forward? Well, at this point, we we really want to just continue our expansion and and do so without compromising what got us here. So we um, we are uh, we're branching into new we're branching into more more retail stores. We're changing our we're we're changing the advertising 
routes that we're going, just basically trying to go through all the um, the uh, marketing avenues that we have that we in the past didn't uh, focus on. We started by focusing 100% on the end user um, direct through e-commerce because we needed to get feedback. We really yeah. needed feedback yeah. on what there was no ev- there was no evidence there was no studies on what worked and at what dosage and and that. So we it was really a data you know if you want to think you could think about it in terms of the first 3 years being a data mining operation. Yeah. We just we needed to gather data cuz it it just did not exist anywhere else. So now you know now we've we've collected that data, analyzed it and applied it to the products to re- refine the products, to refine how we explain the products. And, uh, you know, things as specific as the dosing guides, the, the, the dosage amounts, sure. it's all yeah. it's, you know, it's all it's all um, it's all calibrated to to combine user feedback and the and the, uh, the evolving studies, the evolving clinical studies. Every you know, every few months, a new a new clinical study will come out and support and a new higher dosage for CBD working on some condition. So we, you know, we, we're, we constantly monitor that and um, and apply that into our instructions and our dosing guides. And really, this in, this entire time, we've we've done everything at human quality. So it kind of it kind of made it obvious to us that we we need to also expand into the human side of it because we're yeah, you know, we're already we're yeah. yeah we're already making human quality CBD for pets. So we may as well yeah <laughs> well may as well sell it to humans too. Interesting. And from a kind of a market, regulatory, legal kind of environment, is if, if I gave you a magic wand and you could change anything about the way things work right now, is there anything that is particularly problematic or that you would love to see changed kind of more structurally in the industry right now? Well, customs, the U.S. customs, it's the, the last place where I feel like... Uh, where like it's just no it, where everything's open to some different person's interpretation it's yeah it, it's it's completely hit or miss depending on which of the you know there's hundreds of different ports of entry and the policies seem to be different at each of them and this, so you know without customs brokers i don't know how we would be able to to navigate these waters and i mean most of our lawyers don't even know where to go with yeah. <laughs> with some of the customs challenges that and that's because just because of the issue that you're transporting this cannabis plant derived product or what's the like what's the rub that you're finding with customs is what is yeah it's what the limits are what the rules are um especially with with thc amounts well you know all of our products have a have a trace amount of well not all of our products so you're using a full spectrum You've got a full yeah, spectrum yeah, product. Full spectrum, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. So there's there's at least some th- there's a, a trace amount of CH THC in some of our products. Yeah. And the question of how trace does it need to be? Does it need to be you know a point zero zero one or point one or point three yeah. percent? <laughs> Everyone has a different different opinion on that. Huh. And do you think the international market or the international side to this market is is going to be a lot of growth? Is that I mean, I guess what's your take on yeah how that's going to develop? In fact, you know what? I, I think it's a, it's a situation where the the industry is 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 wants to move forward, and it's just in the only thing holding it back is that that regu- that um, regulatory hurdle. And yeah. I mean, it's more than a regulatory hurdle. It's uh, it's it's a like it's a regulatory obstacle course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and there's yeah, and there's it kind of reminds me of like uh, like stories of, of uh, businesses having to deal with the mob. <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's a different, it, yeah, it's a di- depending on who you talk to, it's a different amount. And yeah. they, you know, they say, Hey, you could pay us, you know, you could pay us, uh, th- you know, this small amount now, but it might cost a lot more in the future or you could pay us, you know, a little bit more and you'll be cool. And, but I know like, a guy that knows a guy. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And you're just, you know, like you're, you're amazed that this is actually coming out of a, out of a, out of a representative of, of our government. Yeah. 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 You, you'd think it's, you'd think it's a, like a, a thug or someone trying to rob you. <laughs> what, do you think, I mean, I guess give a, so you mentioned you're getting into the, to the human side or to the, um, you know, d- products for, for people, not just pets. What do you think the size of this market is? I mean, do you think that, you know, the pet side mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, some percentage or what we uh, give us the size of the markets from, from your point of view or where these markets are going. Honestly, I think it's one of the first things in human history where the, where the market size is, it's as big as you can imagine. It yeah. could go, it could go anywhere. The CBD has the potential to replace billions of dollars of, of current, current commerce in the, in the, um, the pharmaceutical drug industry. Yeah. So that that right there is, uh, you know, it, it's also, you know, it's a, it's a it's a replacement for some pharmaceuticals. And it's it's something that, that technically people could grow in their backyard. Yeah. So, yeah. So so by every single human, every mammal has a has an endocannabinoid system that benefits from having CBD. So yeah. the potential is unlimited. And, and, and also it's one of the, the only times in history where a where an, an industry and a market and a demand was created and established for decades and held back by by governments, and then and then during that having having capital having capital uh, big capital mm-hmm. uh, big banks and that holding money in, in reserves to invest into the industry, and so I think we're we're just on the leading edge of seeing that big banks and and um, and big money start coming into this industry. And when that happens, that, that's a whole nother multiplier. Effect unleash. Of, yeah. Yeah. It's just going to unleash it, the it, capital. I, I would really be surprised if, if CBD and, and cannabis related products weren't the single biggest industry in over the next, in the next few decades, if not century. All right. Well, you heard it here first. We'll check in with you and, and see how that, <laughs> that plays out. Matt, if people want to find Sounds out more good. about you, want to find out more information about Innovet, what's the best place to get that information? Uh, the best place is going to be our Facebook, uh, our Facebook page, uh, Innovet Pet Products on Facebook or our website, InnovetPet.com. And uh, yeah, that's just everything we are is there. Perfect. I'll make sure that both of those links are in the show notes so people can click through and get those. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Great conversation. I love this facet of the industry. I think it's one that not many people cover. So I appreciate your uh, getting into it with me and, and giving our audience some really good insights. Well, thank you for shedding light on these subjects. It's, it definitely needs, needs a, lot, a lot of attention. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.